we need to talk about ideas, good ones and bad ones. We need to learn stuff about the world. We need an honest, intelligent, thought-provoking, and entertaining review of what the hell happened on this planet in the last seven days. We need to sit back and listen to the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Yes, welcome back, dear listener. Episode 225 of the Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcast. We've got a special guest again with us on this particular episode. We'll get to him in a moment. First of all, I'm Trevor the Iron Fist. This is a podcast about news, politics, sex and religion, all the sorts of things that you're not supposed to talk about at dinner parties or in polite company, but it's the fun stuff to talk about. We'll look at what's going on in the world and we'll try and analyse and discuss and not just report what's happened, but think about what we should be doing and is there a better way and analyse it. That's what we're about. So I'm Trevor the Iron Fist with me as always, Scott the Velvet Glove. G'day Trevor, g'day Paul, g'day listeners. And also Paul the Twelfth Man. Greetings, Earthlings. And special guest coming in via Skype, and you can see him there on the live stream if you're watching, is our good friend Robin Bristow from Noosa. Welcome aboard, Robin. <laughs> good evening, heathens. Oh, very good. <laughs> so, dear listener, if you're just listening to the audio and you got the opportunity, um, head over to our our uh, website and have a look at the YouTube video when it uh, when it gets downstreamed, and you'll and you'll get to see Robin wearing his cloak and he's got a couple of skulls there and he's looking he's looking very satanic and evil in a way. So he's, not, he's a nice guy. So Robin was with us once before uh, where we agreed to disagree on a Bill of Rights because Robin was originally from uh, South Africa, currently living in Noosa, and we had a nice discussion about a Bill of Rights. Robin at that point was saying it was a good thing because of uh, the beneficial effects in South Africa, we were saying that we didn't want one. But at the end of it all, while agreeing to disagree, we've all remained friends. So that's good, Robin, that we can do that. <laughs> so welcome aboard, mate. And um, you've been sending me all sorts of stuff over the last few weeks about what's happening in Noosa and what you've got planned there. So uh, for the dear listener who's heard nothing about it, wh- what are you doing up in Noosa, Robin? What's, what are you up to up there? Well, we, we're going to be having a protest in, in Hastings Street. Uh, we've got police permission to close the street off and march up and down Hastings Street. Um, and it's a twofold pro- a protest. One is to protest the, um, the actions of the local Pentecostal church on Hastings Street. And the other one is to protest the upcoming re- Religious Freedom Bill. Mm-hmm. So... We're familiar with the Religious Freedom Bill. What's the local Pentecostal church in Noosa up to, dare I ask? Well, if you've got a few minutes, uh, I can tell you what happened to me in April. I was walking down the street and they have a permit to hand out uh, water. It's called a hydration station. Um, But um, it's just an excuse, really, for them to pounce on unsuspecting drunk people and um, (laughs) tell them about Jesus. Uh, when they're, so, when they're dehydrated and lacking <laughs> lacking fight. Exactly. Yeah, when their defences are lowered. <laughs> well, wherever you find vulnerable people like hungry children or uh, drunk people, you'll find Christians trying to spread their word because they've got uh, easy pickings there. Mm. So um, I approached them and started a discussion with them and uh, pretty quickly learned from them that um, gay sex was a sin and uh, fornication, I actually had to look up what fornication meant, um, then discovered, in fact, I was a fornicator. Uh, so they were correct there. Yeah. Um, and um, 
they also said the Noosa Council flies the rainbow flag once a year as tokenistic and um, their heart really isn't in it. And this all happened on Hastings Street, the street in the town that I live. Uh, so I was very upset by this. Um, and I thought, well, if, that, if they have a right to stand on the street and uh, pronounce all this nonsense, all this hate and homophobia, then we should have uh, a chance to spread our love uh, on the streets of Noosa. Um, so I approached council to also have a permit to uh, have a hydration station on a Saturday night, and council turned us down. They said um, there are already people there, and um, they've spoken to stakeholders, and we, we don't qualify, even though we've got insurance for, for doing this event. So it's just on um, a footpath, is it, in, in Hastings yeah, Street? A, right. Exactly. On a foot, it's on the footpath. And uh, they have a table full of glasses of water. And, uh, 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 you know, I don't quite understand why drunk people need to, to have water. There was a, there's a water fountain just a few meters away. But that, um, you know, that, that, it, it, that logic doesn't obviously cross their minds. Right. So you let that one slide. That was a, a couple of months ago, was it? Yeah, in April. Right. Yep. And when you approached them, you said... As what sort of organisation were you proposing to be that was going to host this new water station? What, what were you going to be? When we approached council, yeah, uh, yeah we, we, um, there's an umbrella organisation here called Out in Noosa, which is basically a Facebook page and its supporters, and it's an LGBTI uh, page. So we, we approached them as local LGBTI community. Yep, okay. Yep. And then you've you've come across this idea with Halloween coming up. So Halloween end of March, thirty first of March. Yep, thirty first of October. 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 Sorry. October. Yeah. yeah. And what was your idea for that one, Robin? Let everybody know. Well, you know, uh, I thought, um, you know, we're using Satanism as as the as the method of promoting this um, this uh, protest. Uh, you know. Basically, to, to all those people condemned to the underworld, uh, for thousands of years we've had uh, Christians, you know, having the right of way everywhere and been been the shouty uh, Australians. We, we're the quiet Australians that want our turn. So that that was the um, the vehicle that I used to promote the event. And um, I'm sure you're all aware of the fact that Satanists do not believe in Satan. Uh, it's basically a group of humanists and um, atheists that use elements of religion to kind of freak out the Christians and get them to behave irrationally and um, in a sort of hypo hypocritical way. Possibly <laughs> most of them don't. Yeah, possibly most of them are a satanic temple sort of atheist using it as a... Yeah as a rebellious form, but we can't speak for all Satanists. Surely so there, are some there must be some true believers out there. Satanists that, that, out there somewhere. I'm sure there is. <laughs> there are one or two. There's yeah. only one or two, but not many. Yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't even call myself a Satanist. I'm yeah. too naughty to be a Satanist. Right. I'm, I'm not good enough. <laughs> <laughs> I'll read a bit of your press release. So it said, uh, praise be Scott Morrison. His proposed religious freedom bill will open the gates of hell onto the streets of Australia. Mm. For all of us quiet Australians who are condemned to the underworld, we are planning a queer Halloween celebration of our freedom of speech and religious freedoms. 
Halloween on Hastings invites all mad witches, sodomites, warlocks, pagans, Satanists, atheists and whores to our 2nd of November event? No, that would have been... Was that right? Your 2nd of November event? Or would it have been the 31st of October event? The 2nd of November is a Saturday night. Ah, right. Okay. That's right. Uh, so, okay, let me get this straight then. So the actual, the, the event will be on the 2nd of November. Is it the first Saturday after the 31st is Halloween? That's mm-hmm. correct. Ah, well, there you go. So, um, we're going to take back the streets of Noosa from the state and local government-sponsored homophobes and misogynists. We will be preaching the gospel of where to obtain abortions, handing out condoms, how to support voluntary-assisted dying, where to find brothels and sex shops, how you can stop chaplains from messing with our children and many other issues. We ask you for your support, blah, blah, blah. So that was your press release and um, you got a bit of traction with that, didn't you, Robin? <laughs> <laughs> it sure did. It, it got us into the newspaper the day after I sent out that media release into the Sunshine Coast Daily hmm. and it got us onto the front page of the Noosa um, onto the front page of the Noosa News. Mm. Uh, so we would never mm. have got that publicity if we hadn't used that angle. You know, 10 gays, that happens every weekend, you know, so it's not newsworthy. But um, when you when you add in that element of shock into it, uh, it certainly um, got the journalists very excited and uh, they put it onto the front page. Yeah. So I've tried press releases in the past, but mine obviously way too dry and boring and <laughs> never get a run. And there you go. It's a it's a great picture of you. I put it up on the yeah. – I did put it up on the uh, live feed and it will be in the show notes so people can see you with um, some sort of devil's head as part of the photograph. So, of course, news organisations, media love that sort of colourful thing because it does have an image to go with it. And here's this crazy Satanist proposing to – to have a crazy march on uh, Hastings Street. So, um, so, what's the story with the permit for for doing this, Robin? Is that easily acquired, or what's the story? Uh, well, it's it's a notification to the police that you intend to hold a um, a gathering. Uh, so you do not need anyone's permission. Uh, you just uh, tell the police that you're going to be doing that and they have to, by law, assist you with your protest. And, in fact, I met with the police tonight to organise the whole event and make sure it's all going to happen safely. Mm. Um, uh, I think in, in, in recently um, Brisbane City Council tried to stop a protest and uh, you have to go to court to do that. So they can't just refuse you or the police for that matter. Um, and the Brisbane City Council... Uh, you've just cut out on us there, um, Robin. ...lost that court case and uh, the protest went ahead. Yep. So... Uh, you just cut out on us a, a little bit there, but you're back with us now. So um, Brisbane City Council, you were saying, tried to stop one, but um, a court said, no, you've got to allow it, unless there's a very good reason. That's right. A street march has to be allowed. And so you walked into the Noosa Police Station and just said, here's my form and... And yes. you were met with a warm reception, were you? Like, they're happy to see a <laughs> Satanist come in and <laughs> propose what you yeah. were doing? The initial reaction was negative. Um, they started, uh, the police officer started telling me that I can't have the march on the street. I need to walk on the pavement. And uh, he was trying to hand back the, uh, the notification form. Um, and I got out my video recorder and started recording it. Yeah. And uh, 
I asked him to repeat his conversation. He he refused to, and um, they took me into a room and had a very nice meeting. So um, it was amazing what an effect uh, turning your video camera on has. Yeah. You know what I'm going to do? Because we're having audio problems, I'm going to turn your video camera off so that just to uh, help out with the bandwidth here. Going to keep you connected via audio, but just to help out with the bandwidth. So, um, so hopefully the audio will be better now and... Uh, so, so that's that. Um, so, Robin, are you expecting the Christians are going to be on the opposite side of the whole thing on the second of November or not? Well, as when they heard out about this, yes, I can hear you. Yeah, yep. go on. Can you hear me? Yeah, yes. we can. Yep. yep. Yeah, when when the Christians heard of, that we were going to have this um, uh, event, they immediately announced that they were going to have a counter event on on the thirty first two days in, before that, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, they were going to pray to Jesus so that Jesus would come and bless Nusa and uh, and fend off the, the, the satanic uh, wave that was mm. going to fall over Nusa. That would be newsworthy, um, wouldn't it, if mm. Jesus showed up? Mm. So, so, Robin, you, <laughs> did you know, Robin, that be very you're no doubt aware that the Nusa triathlon is the next day after this event? You know, I thought that was very rude of them to um, <laughs> schedule that event on such a holy day as Halloween. So, right. you know, right. they, they need to carefully consider that next time. Mm. Yeah. A little disrespectful, you think? Yeah, very disrespectful. Yeah. So, um, let's. So, one of the local uh, Christians wasn't happy with you and posted something on uh, YouTube. So, I've got a bit of the audio here and. I'll just play a, a little bit of the reaction that's come out from the good folk of, of Noosa. So uh, sit back for this. So if you have a look at the newspaper article, Mr Bristow says that on Halloween uh, he plans to have an event on Hastings Street um, where they plan to open the gates of hell Um He'll be preaching the gospel of where to obtain abortions, handing out condoms, how to support voluntary assisted dying, where to find brothels and sex shops. And this is where I take real issue. He says, how you can stop chaplains from messing with our children. We are all perfectly aware of what the innuendo is that he's trying to raise there. And I find it deplorable. First of all, Mr. Bristow, deplorable that you would say it. And second of all, Mr. Gardiner, the journalist, that you would think that this was suitable for print. My husband is a chaplain. Mr. Bristow, don't, don't try to make our home known for a place where we can find abortions, support assisted dying, brothels and sex shops. We are so much more than that. And Mr Bristow, God loves you. You are so much more than that. Oh, that's there touching, go, Robin. It? So God loves you. So she was particularly uh, not happy with the part of your press release that said, how can you stop chaplains from messing with our children? And I edited a bit of her statement there because she mentioned her husband was a chaplain and she also told a sad story about one of her children had died and that she admired her husband for overcoming that and for being generous enough to be a chaplain and um, et cetera, et cetera. So 
Um, so, Robin, uh, you and your press release said, how can you stop chaplains from messing with our children? So she saw that as a slur against chaplains that uh, suggesting that they're paedophiles, really. Yeah. What are you saying? Well, it was a very calculated um, uh, move for, of mine to use that specific term because um, what happened uh, a few months during the marriage equality debate the Tasmanian Bishop Julian Paulius used that exact same term uh, that he was handing out to kids. His, it was called Messing with uh, Marriage, his pamphlet. And he said same-sex couples messed with kids. So uh, what happened was he was taken to some tribunal because of that um, statement of his. And it infuriated him beyond belief that he... So much so that uh, the current uh, religious freedom bill is based on on solving the problem, his problem of being taken to the tribunal. So that he he played a major part in the in the inst in instigation of this religious freedom bill mm. because of that exact same word. And so I thought if I used that word as well, it would. You know, if anyone took, if Christians took exception to it, well, that, that you know, they could hold a mirror to their face and suddenly realize the harm that those kind of terms use, uh, that they cause. And so that's why I used that term. And it had exact, um, uh, exactly what I was hoping for. Someone took the bait and um, made that video. So we can actually use that video as a reason why, um, that we shouldn't have this religious freedom bill because of, all, of course of these issues that happen. Yep. So a little bit of a background summary I'll give. So in Tasmania, we had the Catholic Archbishop put out a pamphlet, book, a booklet, and uh, because of statements that were in it, he was um, uh, a complaint was made. And yes, you're right, Robin. The current religious discrimination bill has a specific provision in it, which is basically the Julian Bordius clause, which um, is more or less saying that religious groups should be able to say, make statements uh, in accordance with their doctrine and not fall foul of any state anti-discrimination laws and mm -hmm. completely overrides them. So um, I, I have to admit, um, you keep hearing from people what Porteous said, and he's been described as simply... Um, I'll just find the relevant part here... Um, the federal government's rationale for overriding the Tasmanian Anti-Discrimination Act is that the Archbishop of Hobart was hauled before a discrimination tribunal for simply stating Catholic doctrine on marriage. Um, so that's the common sort of line that's told, is that all he was doing was stating yes. Catholic doctrine on marriage. And I always just thought that was that he had said marriage should be between a man and a woman, and I disagree with the whole marriage equality thing. But... Um, there was a person, Martine Delaney, who wrote an article that I've got a link to, and in it, uh, Martine says that relating, uh, talking about this booklet um, that was authored or authorised by the Archbishop, it said, um, well, he's saying, Martine, is Martina, he's not her or a, or a you, do you know, Martine Delaney? She's, she's she? a trans woman. Trans woman. So... Uh, Martine's description is, the resulting document told us, as fact, same-sex attracted people are somehow not whole, their relationships no more than friendships and inferior to heterosexual marriage in quality and importance, 
that they raise unhealthy children and most offensively that same-sex parenting is messing with kids. So, um, so that makes it sound a lot worse than what I sort of thought that Julian Porteous' statement was. I never really knew much of the detail of it. And um, yes. basically the complaint was um, from this person and quoting Martine was, personally, I found the church's position on secular marriage law absurd, absurd, but I completely respected the right to hold those beliefs. I simply asked them to express those beliefs in a manner which made it clear they were statements of church doctrine, not fact, and to reword the more offensive phrases so they weren't as overtly accusatory or demeaning to LGBTIQ. So that's a little bit of the background there where... Um, yeah, what Julian Portia said was just more than just saying I'm against marriage equality. There's some nasty stuff to it. There was a hell of a lot of nasty stuff to yeah. it. Yeah. So, and that's why he was called before the tribunal. Yeah, and it all got sort of settled beforehand and never dealt with in any events, which mm. sort of showed it's unnecessary to have this clause. So um, it's a uh, tricky one because we are traditionally on this podcast, Robin, sort of – Say whatever you like, you should be able to, um, provided you're not inciting violence. Mm. And really, if somebody wants to make a stupid, inane comment or even an insulting one, then they should be able to say it and the rest of us can look at them and go, well, now we've heard you say that, we'll now make a judgment about you. So we're sort of a pro-freedom of speech left-wing group, which makes us quite unique, (laughs) or at least me. Um, So... The tricky part with these things is, uh, you know, a religious discrimination bill that's going to give religious people uh, permission to be more insulting and more offensive. Does that mean that we should at the same time then become insulting and offensive ourselves, or, or not? And as you're sort of pointing out with your thing here, by raising it the way you have, you're really then sort of um, sticking it to religious groups and saying... Well, it didn't feel nice, did it? That actually was quite unpleasant, and that's how we feel. So, exactly. see how that, yeah, when the shoe's on the other foot, you don't like it, do you? So, yeah, that's a sort of pros and cons. But, Scott, we were just talking about this beforehand, and you were, you were fine with Robin because you figure, well, go on. <laughs> I, I honestly think that the, um, the religious groups pulled up a huge load of horse shit during that marriage equality debate. And they dumped it on us. They dumped it on, on us, the members of the gay, lesbian community. And they stuck it up there. And then I was very pleased that they got 62% of the vote against them. Mm. And I really would have thought that would have shut them up. But no, it didn't. It made them run into the corner demanding a religious freedom bill. This religious freedom bill is going to be, is being designed as a backwards way, as a backdoor way for them to continue discrimination. Mm. And that is what is really offensive about it, is that they have set it up so that they can continue to discriminate against us when 62% of the population doesn't want them to continue to discriminate against us. And that's what's really offensive. So I have absolutely no problem with Robin saying that, you know, how do you stop, uh, what was it, chaplains messing with kids? 
I honestly believe it's time for us to pick the rocks up that they threw first and start throwing them back. Mm. Doesn't necessarily mean paedophilia either. No. It can no. be messing with their minds. Exactly. Because exactly. chaplains that's are right. known to proselytise even yes. though they're not supposed to. And that's to. what comes so, to my mind, yeah, I have to indeed. say. Yeah, indeed. So, um, but it can be read in many ways and that's mm. why... But you summed it up beautifully, Travis, mm. when, when you pointed out that it makes them feel that they're being subjected to... Uh, unjustified slurs and mm. that's exactly what uh, gay and lesbian people feel i imagine yeah well it was quite hurtful you know when it was reported on what portius had said in that mm. um brochure it was quite hurtful to hear that sort of thing being said about mm. you and i can fully appreciate why the christians have got their knickers in a knot Mm-hmm. because they're having it thrown back at them now. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't feel very nice, does it? Mm-hmm. So to the one or two Christians out there that do listen to us. <laughs> and you know who you are. <laughs> you don't like it, do you? All right. Hey, Robin, I, if, unless you wanted to respond particularly to that, um, just a couple of other points, Robin, I was keen to explore was, um, so the reaction in the LGBTIQ community to the use of Satanism as a vehicle for protest. What was the reaction there? Because with the water cooler thing, you were basically a queer group, and but with this, you're a satanic group. So what? how did that go down? Uh, well, if you see our media release, Satanism is just a tiny part of, of that whole media release. So the, 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 the newspapers uh, focused on that to sensationalise the whole issue. And, uh, you know, we don't regret it because it uh, got us onto the front of the newspapers and, and a lot of discussion around it. But uh, uh, I've had report that being associated with Satan because many of them are religious. A lot of them are Catholics and Anglicans. And, they and uh, you know, even though Satanists don't believe in Satan, the, the um, what do you call people who do believe in Satan? And the answer is Christians. Yeah. Uh, they're the fair, fair point. <laughs> yeah, they're the biggest Satanists in Noosa. So, um, it, uh, so they felt uncomfortable with it because they've, you know, they've had their childhood indoctrination with Satan as being a very evil person. You know, Satan actually gave us many wonderful things. He he gave us rock and roll music and uh, um, Elvis Presley. The, yeah, absolutely. And 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 according to the Catholics, he gave us the. Uh, the gay flag, that was the creation of Satan. Um, there's there's many things we can thank Satan for. Look, I think so I, I, I don't know why people are so, so upset with him. Personally, know, I think it's an, ex- an excellent vehicle for a protest. And the other question um, on this, Robin, is so you're like an architect um, by profession uh, and how are you going to go um, professionally after this sort of... Um, publicity in Noosa like is that going to affect you do you think or is that uh, it's already affected my profession I reckon um, uh, you know uh, it's not often that a professional person will take uh, huge political risks I mean I could have um, strictly speaking I'm a building designer I'm a, uh, I was an architect in South Africa um, and uh, you know um the career of an architect is is to go around town and blicking asses and saying nice things to the ruling LMP, and uh, uh, I I couldn't do that. That's 
that's something that I couldn't bring myself to do is play that kind of game. Uh, I have much more fun um, being an activist. And so uh, I've, you know, I've, I've resigned myself that my career has taken second place. But, as you know, who knows? There might be people who appreciate uh, an architect with a bit of a, um, a twist. Yeah, there might be some well-to-do atheist slash Satanists look to retire yes. in Noosa and want an <laughs> expensive villa designed and you'll be just the man for them, particularly if they want gargoyles and things like that on there, I reckon. But <laughs> and gates of hell yeah. at the front. Yes. Well, yeah. Noosa actually has um, uh, just down the road in the National Park is a, is a very well-known feature called Hell's Gate. Mm-hmm. So... Um, Noosa is very well connected to hell, and um, we're just going to be opening the gate. Yep. So, so that's a portal there in the National Park. Indeed, yes. Yeah. One in, quite correct. Well, it's going to be rocking in Noosa on the 2nd of November with the Noosa Triathlon the next day and with everything you've got going on there. Good luck to anyone wanting to find accommodation. Mm-hmm. It'll be the house, si- house full signs will be up, but... Um, Scott might be there. You're going to try and make it, Scott? I'm going to try and make it, yeah. Right. So, um, oh, that'll be wonderful. Yeah. But it's going to be a party. I mean, yeah. uh, when I was speaking to the police today, I said uh, the, the speeches are going to be short and there's going to be lots of music. So be prepared for a lot of um, ACDC um, Highway to Hell and even <laughs> Kylie Minogue, Better the Devil. So uh, a lot of pop- popular music and a lot of dancing. And, and it'll be a big party, so it'll be a lot of fun, actually. Very. And, the, and the time, Robin? Yeah, what time? It starts, it starts at 8 o'clock, so hopefully the kids are all put to bed. and uh, <laughs> Safely tucked in bed, eh? Yes. And uh, then uh, the march down Hastings Street will be just before 9 o'clock. And uh, we're going to be going up and down Hastings Street um, in our in our Halloween costumes. That's the other reason why I wanted it around Halloween because people wouldn't shit themselves if they saw a satanic <laughs> creature walking down. You, you can just wear your normal gear and you'll be okay <laughs> for, for that. That's good. Hey, friend of the show um, was, he's going to, he's, he's, he's sent a message in the chat room. Uh, good on you, Robin. I'll be there, he says. So that's one more we've right, got for excellent. you. Excellent. Yep. So that's good. Good. We're looking forward to it. So that's yeah. three of you, myself, yeah. the better half, and Roz, and, and was. So. Okay. I want lots of photos and videos, please, um, for the, after the event. Righto, Robin. Well, keep up the good fight and the good protest, and we will sign off and, and hear from you at another time. Good. Great. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Robin. Thanks very much, Robin. Bye. See, See you, Bye Robin. Now. Bye. Right. That was Robin fighting the good fight mm. on the streets of Noosa. Yeah, and good on him. Yeah. Absolutely. You yeah. know, I honestly think that um, it's high time the Christians got a taste of what they've asked for. They've asked for religious freedom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now they're going to see what it like, what it looks like, mm-hmm. and they're not going to be happy with it. And you know what? Or maybe they will. <laughs> they don't get stuffed because... <laughs> they might join. You know? <laughs> Who knows? We, the, I mean, Robin might be out there proselytising for Satanism. Exactly. Mm. But anyway, I think that it's great because that's going to shut them up. Mm. Right. That'll be, that'll be interesting. I expect a full report from you, Scott. Okay. Yeah. No worries. So, um, still on religious news before we move into sort of other topics. We've got a range of religious things to get through. Religious mm. discrimination bill... Um, the government is doing consultation, apparently, on its proposed bill. <laughs> and, um, 
And it's not looking good based on this sort of statement from the Attorney-General. So It's just lip service, isn't it? The phila- their, their idea of consultation exactly. is, is to tell the public they're doing consultation and, then completely and ignore them. just ignore everything that anybody says. Well, that's, you know, Dean Stretton wrote another very good piece. Like, mm. I actually read it. Mm. And, you know, he probably got ignored with his original um, thing that was sent into the Ruddock Review. Mm-hmm. He's probably going to be ignored again now. But Jesus Christ, you know, they can't ignore everyone. Can't they? Yes, they can. And they are. Well, so they can try. Here we go. So the Attorney General basically has rejected a key concern from big business over the, um, over the Falau clause, basically. So um, that was the one. What was their concern, Trevor? Uh, that it was going to make it difficult for them to sack people oh, right. and make them think twice about hiring people. Mm. It was a very poorly worded section so nobody knows where they stand because you've got to prove, you know, financial hardship in order to, you know, bump off somebody like Falau off your employment book. So business was saying this is not good for business and Christian Porter has rejected that key concern. Um, He said he found the business complaints less persuasive. Um, So... What's that doing that for? Less persuasive than other issues that had arisen in the consultation process. So basically, no, I'm not going to change that. Mm. But he found some arguments persuasive. And these were the arguments from the religious groups saying, why are you excluding religious hospitals and aged care facilities? Because under certain sections of the Act, they don't get the extra privileges that other religious bodies get. And he's going, well, that's worth considering, actually. Mm. Um, He says, so this is to do with employment, you know, so religious hospitals and aged care facilities um, were excluded from the provisions that would allow them to refuse to hire a a Satanist like Robin Mm. or whatever. And the Attorney General is going, well, maybe we should be including those religious hospitals and aged care facilities. And... Um, he says, quote, In our draft, it did not include hospitals and aged care at first instance because we wanted to learn more about how those organisations actually operate and we have learnt a great deal during the consultations I've conducted. There are going to have to be some refinements of the drafting in that area. Sounds that doesn't ominous. sound good, does it? No, no, that's not good at all. So, just... They don't give up easily, do no, they? No, they don't. They're just screaming at us. We're stuffed. Mm. It's Why not be, just it's declare Australia a theocracy it, and be done with it? It was bad enough and now it's just going to be worse. Like, it's going to get a hell of a lot worse. Yeah, so there you go. Look forward to that. Everyone who voted for them, good luck to you. Well, this is the whole point. Like, you know, it didn't make a hell of a lot of headlines during the election campaign. It was always there, but it wasn't there in the front row. Mm. You know, it's just... And, and quite deliberately, it was it was kept off the radar, wasn't mm, it? It was. Mm. Anyway, it, look, you know, it's going to get down to the very embarrassing thing again. We're going to have the only people that are opposed to it are going to be the Greens in the Senate, <laughs> you know, and possibly the Centre Alliance from South Australia. Mm, maybe. You know, that would be it. You know, Hanson will be up there with them. The Coalition will be up there with them. You know, it doesn't... Uh. Do you want more bad news? Might as well. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, Alison from Queensland Parents for Secular State Schools yeah, had a was... petition 
oh, did fun. incredibly well in in getting support, support. getting yeah. um, uh, media attention, and I've got a link to the response from Grace Grace, the education minister, mm. and it was bullshit. And response. it was the most bullshit yes minister response of waffle. Mm. Yeah, that it was basically just waffle, said, well. We've already got this and got that and we've already got this and this is the law as it applies at the moment and yours faithfully. Like yeah. it was just a piece of bullshit waffle. Uh, she was just going through the motions yes. of acting as if she was making, you know, an appropriate response. Yes. But it was just, as you say, it was just waffle. It wasn't even – yeah. It was just like, well, this is the way we've always done it and uh, we can't see any reason to change it. Yeah. Um, it was a lot of garbage. It, it just proves that the ALP are absolutely terrified of the ACL. Yep. So the ALP's not going to do anything. No. And the Liberals, when they get in into Queensland, they're not going to do, do anything. anything. They'll probably beef it up. They'll say, oh, one, one hour a week's not enough. Let's make it three. Mm. The only answer is going to be a satanic, satanic response. response, yeah. Somebody will have to have a satanic family willing to put their hand up and some get accreditation and when there's a headline in the Courier Mail saying satanic group now operating at XYZ State School, mm. uh, one kid in the class attending the satanic lesson, the other uh, 30 kids having to sit in the library and twiddle their thumbs while that's happening, mm. that's when the government might go, oh, uh, we all we don't want our kids having to twiddle their thumbs while Bit some awkward. Satanist is doing their job. Yeah. Maybe we'll change the law. So that is what it's going to take um, mm. because the softly, softly nice guy approach is not working. Uh, hasn't worked. If there's a Satanic family out there in Queensland with kids at the state school willing to put their hand up, and I think you'd just have to say to a principal, "Look, we don't want publicity, but we want Satanic lessons." Then mm. I'm willing to work with anyone prepared to get accredited and to present some sort of satanic doctrine to get mm. it done because that is the only way. I and, think. you know, you get can in call, contact. You can call yourself a Satanist, but, you know... You don't you, have to believe in Satan no, as a deity. Exactly. You no. know, you don't have to believe in Satan as a deity. You can have a very secular... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not morals, um, ethics and that sort of stuff. Mm. You can have that as your lesson plans... Mm. And it was very secular and that sort of stuff. And you just simply say, you know, at the beginning of the lesson, you stand up, you put your fingers up, you say, hail Satan. So, no, you don't have to believe in Satan as really? a deity. No. Oh, uh, because, it all, because Satanism is a religion because some people believe in Satan. Mm. Christians believe in Satan. Mm. Uh, but not everybody has to. Muslims in, believe in, in same, Satan too, I think. In the same way that not all Catholics or Anglicans believe in God. Like they're just mm. so... Not everybody within a faith actually believes. Mm. And it's not necessary for the leadership to believe, as the Church of Scientology case proves. So <laughs> there are ways around it. Anyway. Mm. Right. Um, the Anglicans of Sydney are famous for being extremely conservative in the moral department mm. and very anti-gay And marriage. in the theological department, yeah. a little bit conservative as well. Yeah. So... Uh, the Anglican Archbishop of Sydney, Glenn Davies, has told Anglican supporters of same-sex marriage they should leave the church rather than betray God's mm. word in a scathing speech condemning progressive elements within the faith. Mm. But he later, he later said that he wanted to clarify that. He, 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 
he tried to claim that he was aiming that at men- members of the clergy rather than the, uh, you know, the average parishioner. Oh, mm. Bullshit. He was just concerned about the Anglicans' um, real estate investments. That's all. You think? Yes. Yeah. Well, he doesn't want to leave as a splinter group because then they'd lose control of the property. So mm. he's telling the others to leave while he maintains control of the property. That's that's the line mm. I read as well. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Right. Uh, still on religion. This one's an interesting one. It's, it just makes you sick. Um, in 2015, um, there were some girls who it seemed had been um, suffered genital mutilation as part of a religious mm. ceremony. And the mother and the nurse were found guilty of breaching the ban on female genital mutilation in New South Wales and sentenced to 15 months jail. Um, allowed to spend the sentence outside of custody. So it was the first prosecution in Australia for that, obviously. Um, well, not obviously. I won't go into details yet. But uh, that conviction was quashed by the New South Wales Court of Criminal Appeal last year when it was found that there was no physical damage to the clitorises of the girls. So... They'd undergone some sort of examination and, like, the clitoris is intact, not damaged. So the Court of Criminal Appeal quashed it. And that then got appealed to the High Court and the High Court uh, reinstated the conviction and said, even though you didn't actually damage the clitoris, what you were doing uh, around that area was illegal. Mm. And you shouldn't be waving sharp objects around uh, young girls' genitals. Yeah. Um, at the original trial, the eldest child had given evidence describing um, that they give a little cut in your private part. However, um, I think it was the nurse who said the ceremony had used forceps, not a blade, and the symbolic form of kartna involved a ceremony of touching the edge of the genital area, allowing the skin to sniff the steel. Oh, Jesus Christ. It's a creepy, when, when defense, it's creepy phrase. Your defence is we didn't cut her, we just used a type of uh, forceps and we allowed the skin to sniff the steel. So the, court, or the high court said, well, that's objectionable enough, uh, you're convicted still. Bit of a split decision. Some didn't agree, but that's awful. Ugh. Mm. It just <sighs> male circumcision is one thing, but this is something entirely different. You know, it's really offensive. Mm. Yeah. Well, well, I think male circumcision yeah. is no, it's in, offensive indeed. too. Yeah, very offensive. Yeah. Uh, well, mm. offensive is not the word I would use because I don't, you know, particularly subscribe to this idea of that offence is a is any kind of crime, but. Male circumcision is physical injury. It's an assault on a, a defenceless child's, um, you know, physical integrity. Yeah. Well, it's I've grabbed one of our one of our articles that was in the bottom of the pile and brought it to the top. Um, and I didn't warn you about this one, mm-hmm. uh, but that was this was the case in the UK, where a woman was found guilty of causing grievous grievous bodily harm to an 11th month old baby. Is in the UK. Baby boy. Oh, yeah, yes. This is the, yeah. yeah. She was entrusted to look after the baby while the parents went away one weekend. 
During that weekend, she took the baby to London to be circumcised in accordance with her own Nigerian Christian beliefs. She knew the baby's mother did not want her baby circumcised, so she posed as the child's mother, recruited a man to pose as his father, and convinced a Jewish circumciser to perform the procedure. Oh, my God. That's a criminal enterprise. Exactly. But, But... this is the UK. She will not go to jail. She was given what? a suspended sentence of 14 months. Oh, my goodness. Ordered to pay costs uh, of not much. Um, and Yeah, but, you know, is the, the kid can't ever be intacted again, can he? You know? Here's the thing. The judge said, although the offence merited a prison sentence, circumstances meant she decided to suspend the sentence. The judge said she accepted this woman's intention wasn't to harm the bully that she was of impeccable character and she was a professional person and highly qualified. This person, this woman, was a pharmacist. How impeccable is it when you take somebody else's child under false pretenses, pretend to be their parent and have a surgical procedure, an unwarranted surgical procedure performed on them? That's not ethical. No. That's not an impeccable character. That's deceitful and dishonest and, and, and criminal. It gets worse. Worse than that. Yes. The judge said the lack of parental consent is what is missing here. He added that circumcision can only be lawful with the consent of the parents. And the writer of the article says, well, here's the problem. What's lacking is the consent of the person being circumcised. Exactly. So uh, whether or not the parents want the procedure should not be the central issue. It's whether the person undergoing it wants the procedure. Mm. Like, it really is. When do we reach the stage where we've got to say... You know what? You can't make these decisions for kids. Right. Uh, let them make it as an adult. And I, I, I suggest the circumcision rates will go down dramatically. I remember years ago you put something up on Facebook that said religion is just like circumcision. If you make someone wait until they're 21, they'll have a very different response. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know? Mm. Fair point. There we go. So imagine leaving somebody in charge of your kid for the weekend. Think they can find that they cut their dick. Yeah. yeah just such Horrendous, a isn't it? Yeah. There we go. Right. Um, Choose your babysitters very carefully. Absolutely, Mm. you Mm. should, yeah. Do you guys know how much it costs to detain four people? Legally detain them? Mm. If you want to hold four people uh, in custody... In a watch house? Well... On Christmas Island, the four people that were from... Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, but that's an exceptional case, obviously. Yeah, but Christmas Island was not... four people up down Roma Street. was shut down... They reopened it. And a billion dollars, yeah. Oh, that's right. There's one family. Put the family of four in there. Mm. And I'll just play a little uh, clip. So there's a Senate hearing at the moment and uh, Senator McKim from the Greens was questioning some of the public servants about about that. So, Mm. you know, think about it, dear listener. Four people on an island. How much much could that possibly cost? Wait for it. Uh, And it's, it's still incurring expenses. I presume? That's correct. And how many people have been detained there since it was reactivated? I currently have four people. Uh, Have there ever, since the reactivation, have there ever been any other detainees there? No, Senator. No. So we spent in the region of $30 million to detain four people for a couple of months. $30 million. These guys claim to be economic rationalists. Rash- yeah. Better economic managers than the, uh, the other side. Could you imagine the screaming that would be going on in the newspaper if the if Labor, Labor had Party had, had yeah. wasted $30 million on something mm. that 
you won't read much about this. No. It's just criminal. $30 million. You know, the whole thing about the Medivac bill, they were saying it was going to restart the boats. The boat haven't, boats haven't mm. restarted. You know, finally someone has picked up on the number of uh, asylum seekers that have been arriving by planes. Mm. You know, and finally it's someone... It's a hell of a lot. Finally someone started to ask the questions about how many people are going to arrive by plane and mm-hmm. apply for asylum once mm. they get here. Mm. But there was just no necessity for those people to be taken to Christmas Island anyway. They were detained for deportation, okay. Mm. That was a legal procedure. They could have done it in any number of several, uh, you know, similar facilities. Mm. They could have have remained in community detention. You know, they they could have continued to live up there in Biloela. Well, they were about to be physically deported. I understand that, but, you know, one of the kids has now got a claim and that sort of stuff that's going to take some time for the courts to sort out. But no need to transport them to Christmas Island at all. It was all a symbolic gesture. Mm. Yeah. Right. Um, We've previously given the rundown on Brexit and Boris Johnson, and I mentioned how the UK Parliament did not trust him to request an extension and how they wrote into law that if there is no agreement by this date, you must uh, request request an extension. And I think they almost had drafted the wording of what he had to ask for. Yeah. Apparently he's actually photocopied that, signed it, and sent it to... Sent it to Belgium. Well, he didn't even sign it. Well, he didn't even sign that one. But what he actually did was he signed the next letter, which was the same thing. He'd photocopied that, signed it, but he'd put it in there handwritten underneath that PS, and an extension would be very bad for both sides. Yeah, I don't know that it was quite done that way (laughs) for the photocopying of it, but he basically asked for the extension, did not sign that letter, but at the same time sent another letter saying, I don't want an extension. I had to do that because the law required me to. (laughs) Don't give us one. Mm. There is no shame in this world anymore. Like mm. points for front, I say. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We'll have to wait and see how the general election goes because they're, they're, they're careering towards an election mm. now. For the first time ever, the Democrats, or the, the Liberal Democrats, are actually probably since that guy that was the gay bloke who was the subject of a television program relatively recently that was run by was done by Hugh. Oh. Can't remember his name. Anyway, ever since then, that was the closest the Liberal Democrats ever got to forming government. Mm. This time round, there's actually talk of the possibility of the Liberal Democrats forming government because really? they're going to be able to pinch really? enough votes from the Labor Party yeah. and the Tories that they might be able to form a government. Now, it'll be a minority government, but it'll still be a government. And if they get in, then they're going to revoke Article 50, which is the withdrawal from Brexit from the mm. European Union. Anyway, the problem was always Ireland and the, the deal was nobody wanted a, a, a border between the north and the south mm. and nobody wanted a border between Ireland and the rest of the UK. So it seemed insurmountable and it just seems that the deal that Boris reckons he's got with the UK was one that created a border between Ireland and the UK. So... And that was something that people had said, we're not going to have that because effectively that's breaking up the UK. So uh, so it sounds like it, it had a, a crucial element to it that people had previously said they wouldn't agree to. But anyway, the vote was a lot closer, so it wasn't that much in it. He nearly got through. He almost it was only did. 20 votes or something mm, like that. In the scheme of things. Yeah. Mm. 
Right. Um, Which were probably all the 20 Tories that he expelled from the party. Mm. <laughs> right. Uh, we'd previously talked about renewables, the cost of renewables. Uh, we got uh, some harsh criticism by one listener because we um, were smirking about people not wanting to pay anything for, you know, to ameliorate climate change or whatever. Listener Zach has said, uh, is Scott a vegan or does he eat meat? <laughs> One of the largest contributors to the greenhouse effect. The overall impact of livestock is greater than that of burning coal, natural gas and crude oil. And he gave a link to a, an article from Freakonomics. Scott, are you willing to give up meat as part of your virtue signalling? I um, have reduced the amount well, of meat that I eat. How right. much? I have give reduced. it to us in grams, and, please. And, well, and, I can't recall how many grams it is. But is I have, that as a matter of uh, environmental concern or just because you've just gone off meat? No, it's not because I've gone off meat. God, oh. I would eat steak every night if I could. Right. However, okay. I did actually sit down and I – and Zach, I did actually take this into account. I did mm. think to myself – that you've got these animals that are belching out methane and that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. and methane is apparently four times the um, greenhouse gas that carbon dioxide is. 23 times. 23 times, okay. It's a hell of a lot worse mm. than what uh, carbon dioxide is. So I thought to myself, I've got to reduce my meat consumption. So Gee, you're I, good, Scott. You are. I'm not good. You've got a heart of gold, seriously. <laughs> I have reduced my meat consumption, but I have not eliminated it, and I have not become a vegan either because mm. I couldn't go. I couldn't go without dairy. Mm. So I was having this conversation with Paul on the way, with Paul in the car on the way over. He's given his life to Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't. Jesus, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I couldn't. What's that other cheesemakers? <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't not live my life without cheese, yogurt, and milk. I understand that. Now, I'm also part of that problem because those dairy cows that provide me with the dairy mm. are belching out methane on a daily basis. I understand that. Let me, let me, can I give some information Absolutely. about that? So this caused me to look up, well, I googled, are cows causing uh, global warming? A cow, on average, releases between 70 and 120 kilograms of methane, methane per year. So let's round it off at 100 kilograms of, so of methane per year, yeah. one cow. So that's 2,300, that's 2,300 kilograms of carbon dioxide a year. Uh, yes. Yeah. It's, that's right, 2.3 tonne mm. of CO2 per year. So the negative effect on the climate of methane is 23 times higher than the effect of CO2. So, um, so yeah. Now let's compare... Uh, what 2,300 kilograms of CO2 would be. Uh, the same amount of carbon dioxide is generated by burning 1,000 litres of petrol. With a car using 8 litres of petrol per 100 kilometres, you could drive 12,500 kilometres per year for one cow. One wow. Year. That is amazing. I don't feel so bad about driving my car now. Do you? Well, if you're cutting back on meat consumption, then... But if you're chewing on a hamburger while you're doing it... I don't eat that so, many cows. So 12,500 kilometres per year, same CO2-generated emissions as one cow in a year. Mm. That is amazing. So that is incredible. The yeah. thing about the methane as well is that it dissipates from the atmosphere very quickly. So if 
everybody was to go it. vegan, mm. then the effect would happen within 18 months or two years or something. I forget exactly, but uh, the, it, it comes out of the it would come out of the atmosphere very quickly, whereas carbon hangs around a lot longer. So, uh, do you know mm. how it dissipates? Does it uh, just a chemically chemical, break down or physical perf- um, mm. factor of it? So, yeah, that's interesting. If so, there's a chemist among the listeners, perhaps they could um, mm. give us a message. So, um, of course, there's about 1.5 billion cows and bulls, uh, and all ruminants are responsible for lots of methane. Mm. Ruminants being animals which um, use a sort of a bacteria in their stomach to sort of break down food, consequently causing lots of gas, i.e. methane. Mm. Mm. So, according to a report, agriculture is responsible for... uh, 18% 18% of the total release of greenhouse gases worldwide, which is more than the whole transportation sector. Anyway, there's a link to a few articles there, link to a Freakonomics thing. I wasn't aware of how much cows were responsible. Yeah, I knew it was a lot, but I didn't know it was that much. See, that's why I have... <laughs> Zach, I've really tried. Now, I haven't eliminated steak or anything like that, but I've gone from having steak three or four times a week to perhaps once a fortnight. So my meals now are two nights a week I have meat, which is generally pork or chicken and steak once a fortnight. And the other two meals of that I have uh, salmon and that's the only meat that I eat during the week is salmon and, and those couple of meat dishes. I love salmon. I know. But I could actually reduce that. I could reduce that even further mm. if I decided to have salmon only once a week. Then I could have another vegetarian dish, and then I could probably even cut down my meat bound to once a week. So, so what about aquaculture? What, what sort well, of impact is, does that have well, on the climate? Do I think? don't think it has anything on the climate. However, you've got to transport the salmon up from Tasmania, where it's farmed, and that sort of thing. So the transport is one of the bigger problems with that because you've got to then you've got to burn carbon dioxide to get the yeah. But we've just learnt that uh, you know you could drive a car twelve and a half thousand kilometres for one cow. cow, I understand. It's not so bad in the scheme of things. It's not so bad, Mm. but you know, I also eat dairy, Mm. and I'm not going to give up my dairy. So you know, Mm. he's quite adamant about the dairy, isn't he? I do love my dairy. Andrew in the chat room says the Australian red meat industry is on target to be carbon neutral by 2030. So Yeah, I did hear that. I don't know how they're going to achieve that. So with all the emissions from the red meat from the cows, what's how are they gaining credits, Andrew? Let us tell us how that works. Planting trees. I'm actually going to be planting trees to grab the credits from them. Mm, maybe. I don't know. So um Matthias Corman, he still is thinking more tax cuts for companies. Did you know that? He's more tax about, cuts. Yes. He's a yep. uh, he is. And um, I came across an article. I've got a little chart. I'm going to put it on the chat room so people can see it. And this is showing US ownership of Australia's biggest companies. So if we grant tax cuts to our big companies or any companies, but let's face it, it's all at the top where a lot of the revenue and uh, and tax should be. Australia's companies have always been majority overseas owned, I believe, haven't they? People may not realise how much. Uh, a combination, historically British, of course, and then American. Mm. So if you're looking in, in the chat room or you're watching the video later, there's a uh, chart on the screen. The yellow bar shows Australian ownership and the dark green turquoise colour is 
US investors and, you know, something like um, National Australia Bank, barely 20% Australian-owned, mm. uh, Westpac, uh, maybe about 18%, BHP, 10%, Commonwealth Bank, a bit over 20%, Woolworths, less than 20 mm. A lot of them are around the 20 mark, the 20% mark. If we give tax breaks... It just gets passed through to shareholders. Of course it does. And they're all overseas. Like, this doesn't stimulate our economy when you're just handing money over to overseas investors. Mm. Doesn't make sense, does it? No. Not if you're trying to stimulate. If the reason for doing it is to stimulate the economy, yeah. uh, it's just sending money overseas. The cost of it surely couldn't pay off. Uh, That's why I said Matthias Coleman's a dickhead. Mm. Perhaps we should petition um, the, the United States and the other countries that own, you know, majority shares of our big companies, ask them to pay the salaries of our politicians because it would appear they're working for them rather than us. Mm. There we go. That's that. Um, wealth and income distribution. So I know Woz has complained in the past, like, what's the problem with inequality and... I'm not going to go into that on this episode, but we'll do it at a later time. But I do want to just demonstrate the level of inequality that is uh, happening at the moment, and then we can discuss at a later time, well, is that a bad thing or not, or how much of a bad thing. Um, it wouldn't be whether it's a bad thing or not, because that would just be a false dichotomy, which was doesn't like. It would be We'd be looking for more nuance than that was. No, it is a bad thing to right. have that sort of... Look, extreme inequality, inequality yeah. I think most people would agree, is a bad thing. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it? Well, was, doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, first of all, um, uh, would you like me to explain how trickle-down works? Well, I've seen pictures of this where you've got this guy pouring champagne into a very big glass and he right. says, it's quite simple, whatever trickles down to the bottom goes to the bottom, whatever stays in my glass stays, just comes to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's like this. First of all, the 1% gets all the money and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, uh, wealth. In Australia today, um, and I've got links to, this is an article by Greg Jericho and... He's got his sources for his data. This particular one is from Credit Suisse. Um, so it's all there uh, in the show notes, dear listener. So the question that I want you to have in your mind is the top 1% of Australians. Let's line up all of Australians from the, in terms of wealth, not income. Uh, the person who owns the least at one end and the person who owns the most at the other. That's Gina Reinhart at the other end. Um, and with Gina, the top 1% at that top-end scale of, of wealthy people. How long along the line, working from the bottom, do you have to go before you would have amassed the same wealth as the top 1%? So as you're walking along that line, starting at the poorest person, and you're, and you're, and you're heading through the mass of Australia, what what percentage of Australians would you need to gather up in order to accumulate the same wealth as the top 1% of Australians? I thought it was 70%, wasn't it? It is indeed. Yeah. Did you get that answer, dear listener, or did you think it would be considerably less? So if you are underestimated, 
um, the amount of wealth held by the 1%, then you'd be a normal Australian. Like, basically, 70% of Australians would have underestimated and would have got that right, got that wrong. Only about 7 or 8% of Australians would get that right, and about 20% would have actually overestimated and thought, actually, the 1%, maybe they own 80 or 90%. So that's a significant amount. Seven, the top 1% owns 70% of the wealth in Australia. Mm. Does that inherently sound like it could be a problem? Like, Does the word greedy come to mind? Well... I don't think it's it's, it doesn't have to be greedy. No, it doesn't come to mind. The danger comes to mind with me. It's it's imbalance and it's danger. Like when you've got so much money, you've got power to buy people off and get things for yourself and your interest that other people just can't do. And I honestly believe that you're ignoring the lessons of history. The lessons of history from the two great revolutions of our last couple of hundred years. France on one side, Russia on the other. They were very unequal, unequal societies mm. where the Russians went strong to their Bolsheviks and they shot their royal family. The French beheaded theirs, mm. you know. I honestly believe that we are not there yet, but if it continues down that road, we're going to get to that point that Gina Reinhardt can't leave home without security. I'm not convinced, to be honest, and, and the reason being that Everyone's got an iPhone. You know, <laughs> you know I mean, you keep the, 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 you know, the poor masses, you just keep them amused and occupied and they'll just carry on as normal, mm. seriously. Mm. I just don't see it happening, Scott. I'm sorry to so strongly disagree no, with you. No, that's fine. You can disagree with me. That's no but you know what? You, yeah, you take my point. I think it's the same in China. China is now run by a... A group of um, it's, autocrats. Well, yeah, the, the Chinese Communist Party is composed of about ninety million out of one point three eight billion or so. So it's a fairly you know small percentage of the total population, and you'd have to say among that ninety million, it's a much much smaller number who actually have any power mm. and make key decisions, mm. and they are. You know, they are building up a such an ironclad system of surveillance and control that nobody would be able to really overthrow them even if they wanted to. But they keep the masses happy by giving them just enough, giving them just enough in terms of, you know, the, the fruits of Chinese prosperity. They give them a decent apartment to live in, give them, you know, enough food to eat. And they give them entertainments. It's like the ancient Romans, you know, they... They build a coliseum. Yeah. Yeah. Keep the masses amused and... Well, or keep keep them at risk where they uh, can't afford to not comply. Like if you're a Chinese factory worker, you're working at terrible conditions, but Mm. you have to because there is no safety net. What's your other choice? To go back to the village? Yeah. Uh, you have no choice. That's so right. you have to have these mind-numbing jobs mm. where you're on a production line, mm. um, basically living in the factory, working there, yep. Yep. staying in a dormitory. That's right. And you might get a couple of days off at Chinese New Year to go back to the village. Exactly. And that's it. And I apparently mean, the, the, you know, the, the people who migrated from the country to the cities, mm. I, I, I read somewhere that unless they have a permit to, to reside permanently in the city 
their their position there is always tenuous because yeah. if they lose their job or the you know the the boss fires them uh basically they have little choice but to either go back to the country where they came from or you know live under a bridge you know? yeah they're a second class citizen yeah. in that district because they they've come from a different district that's right mm. yeah mm. so yep. they've they've got a very tight system of control there yep yeah i don't entirely agree with you on the iPhone thing. I think mm. that um, I, I, no, I honestly believe that you've got a oh God. You've got to keep beeping me for saying that. I what's it? It's my considered opinion. It's my understanding. It's though. my understanding <laughs> that if you have a situation that you have such a gap between the rich and the poor, eventually the poor are going to rise up and they're going to put their heads on a spike. Don't know. We'll see. Mm. Um, they asked people. Um, once they were told that the top 1% hold as much wealth as the bottom 70%, mm. they then said to them, do you think this should be a high priority for the government to address? Uh, do you think it's important? But not as much as other things. Do you think it's of low importance? And uh, ALP and Greens voters gave uh, 59% said high priority. Uh, only 29% of LNP voters thought it was a high priority. So... Mm. Uh, I would have put it higher up myself. Right. Um, they then said, what would you do to reduce wealth inequality? And 44% were in favour of raising the minimum wage, um, sort of seeing that as very effective. There's some different statistics there. Basically, they're looking at raising the minimum wage, raising new start and stop negative gearing. And um, the, the, the basically the article makes the point that that will have some slight effects on income. But wealth is different to income. Mm. And here's a really interesting chart, dear listener, if you get a chance to look at this either on the live feed or on the um, YouTube one. Basically, it's a chart showing income of Australians, median income of households, 2015-2016. Um, and... There's three types of households. There's an owner without a mortgage, there's an owner with a mortgage, and there are people who rent. And essentially, there's not a lot of difference in income, in disposable income of people. Uh, but then the next chart shows what's the wealth of those three categories. And the people without a mortgage who owned a house had a median wealth of $988,000 People who owned a house but with a mortgage had a median wealth of 652000 and renters was 73000 So mm. the crucial difference in wealth with people was whether they owned a house or not. Mm. Uh, massive indicator of, of how you're going. Uh, yeah, it, well, you know, you can throw rocks at me for saying this if you like, but you said that there wasn't a hell of a difference between income and wealth. There wasn't a hell of a lot of difference between the incomes level of each of the households. Comparatively to the assets, but yeah. go on, yes, make it, yep. Well, the point that I was going to make is if the income isn't all that different, then you've got to ask the questions about what the hell the rent has done with their money. Paid rent. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, it could be that yeah, the reason yeah. they're, they're renters is because they've never been in a position to buy the house. Or well, mm. one would have thought that if you'd mm. gone into share accommodation or something like that and lived there for four or five years, you could have bought a, you could have bought a house. You would have had to buy something very small, but you would have actually owned something. I well, think people on low incomes just really never get en enough 
capital accumulation to make that deposit on the house, I don't think. The next charts are going to help tell a story because looking at home ownership rate by age and going back to about 1980, if you're aged 25 to 34, over 60% of people at that stage owned a house. Mm. So this is 1980, people aged 25 to 34, uh, over 60% owned a house. Mm. Now those same people would only be less than 45%. So mm. there's a big change in that demographic of young people not owning a house. Mm. Uh, then we've got, I'm going to skip forward, basically another chart showing the the average income, average full-time earnings versus the price of houses. And oh, they yeah. more this or less... shocking, yeah. They more or less track each other yeah. from 1970 through to about 2000. And at that point, the dwelling price house skyrockets mm. and the earnings amount just... Flatlines. Uh, it's a, just a gradual increase, kind of in line with what it was prior to that. But... Mm. Uh, it just shows how how much the cost of housing as a multiple of average earnings has increased. Mm. And you look at that and you just think, this cannot continue. House prices, that gap mm. can't be right. Mm. Don't take legal, uh, financial advice from a podcast, but no. have a look at that chart before you decide to buy any property because you look at it and you go, surely... It just can't continue. The, the, and, the, and you know that despite the last couple of years, the house prices have flatlined or even declined in some areas. There was a, an article just the other day saying that, that now the forecast is property prices in Sydney and Melbourne will be in double digits again from maybe next year. Or, right, the growth. Yeah. Right. It, okay. So when you say... Uh, so people who are young can't, very difficult to buy compared to 1970s, 1980s. Yeah, absolutely, yep. it is. I'm not yep. saying it's easy. Yeah. But it and, can be done. And the ones who can do it now are doing it because of the extraordinarily low interest rate. Mm-hmm. So if you were prudent, tick up. Yeah. if you were prudent, like you might do your sums and go, oh, well, what's this person renting for? They could, based on the interest rate today... Mm borrow all this money and have a house. Mm. Yeah. But, but that, it's possible that could be a reckless strategy. Yeah. Absolutely, because interest rates are going to go interest up. Interest rates are, are so low. So mm. it all changed around 2000. Uh, by that point, interest rates really got down low and, um, and which negative, made borrowing Negative gearing came in in the and 1990s. John Howard, John, uh, no, negative Wasn't gearing it? had been around for a while, but John Howard changed the capital gains tax rules and made that even more. Didn't Keating uh, introduce negative gearing in the yeah. early 90s? Keating actually outlawed negative gearing for two years. Yeah. But then after that he reversed that decision mm. that was based on rent in Sydney going up yeah. 30% or something like that. Mm. By coincidence, Scott and I used to live in the same street uh, prior to knowing each other. Right. And I can tell you from personal experience that you could buy a house in that street in 1990 for less than $100,000. Mm-hmm. Now it would be at least 600 do you think? Well, my place has been valued at $840,000. Wow. So there you go. So that, that's a pretty good indication of the increase Yeah. in, well, 25, 30 years. Mm. Yeah. 
But we, we bought a house in the early 1990s, uh, which was at about 115000 and we spent about 20000 on it, lived there for seven or eight years, and we were lucky to get one hundred and thirty-five when we sold it mm. in 1999. Like, mm. the property has been flat in the past. Like, mm. there have been long periods where it just didn't move and it doesn't always go up like a skyrocket. So, no, I know, it doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't, but, you know. Yep. I know it doubled, so, I think, between the 19... around the 1970s and the 1980s. It, it pretty much doubled in Brisbane because a friend of mine bought a house in the outer suburbs for, I think, about 40,000 in, I think, the early 1970s. And then in the early 1980s, he sold it for about 70 or 80, something like that. Mm. You know? Anyway, there's some interesting charts there. Have a look at that. And it's interesting that when we talk about inequality, it's not so much about income, it's about assets. Yeah. And one of the key drivers of it is whether you own a house or not. Mm. And... Yeah, but um, you're looking at me wanting to tax wealth again, and no. I don't think you should tax wealth. I do agree with a inheritance tax mm-hmm. wholeheartedly on support of that because I think you've got to break down the whole thing of leaving money to the next generation. The Reinhardts of yeah, the, the world. Yeah, the Reinhardts of the world. They're, mm. they're exactly those sorts of people that because you should she, be... She didn't become rich because she's a genius. So, so no. how, how are you proposing to tax Gina Reinhardt? Well, I think you've got, you got to set up an inheritance tax. So that right. when she... When she kicks the bucket, which is right. going to happen to her eventually, she goes back down to live with the Dark Lord. Then <laughs> That's quite an image. <laughs> no, when, when she does die, yeah. then I think that, you know, I, I do believe that you should, that her heirs should pay tax on their inheritance. Mm. Now, I don't believe you should pay 50% of it or something like that, but... You've got to work out a sensible solution that says anything north of $1 million or $2 mm. million gets thrown into your income tax return and gets taxed at marginal rates. Mm. What about the argument that our current tax laws favour the wealthy? Absolutely, they do. I know there's no doubt about so that. Then, so, uh, so is it taxing wealth or assets to simply scale back some of the privileged taxes uh, privileged benefits that wealth currently enjoys. No, I don't so, think that's, I don't think so, that's taxing so, wealth or anything like that. I just think you're, you're trying to equalise the taxation burden on the whole population. So, for example, the CGT concession. Absolutely, one, that's too high. At the moment, 82% of the benefit of that goes to the top 20%. Mm. So, so if we got rid of it, mm. would that be okay? It would be okay. Pardon yeah. me, okay. what's CGT? That's capital the, gains tax. That's the capital oh, gains tax. So that's yeah. the one where, you know, if you earn money through wealth accumulation, you pay yeah. half the tax that if you'd earned the same money through income yeah, physical yeah. exertion. Yes. So why? So a, t- a ditch digger effectively yeah. pl- pays twice as much tax for his labours. Yeah. So, so you've said you don't want to tax capital. That's but, what I've said. But, but you're happy to reduce the CGT concession, which absolutely. would effectively yeah. But that was always just set bring, up there. That was set up as a was set up by Howard, yep. and it was set up as a as a gift to the high income earners. Yep. That was wrong. It mm-hmm. was crooked that mm-hmm. that was done that way. Mm-hmm. Now it went from being it went from being a tax that was on your post uh, inflation. 
income gain, where you had to uh, you had to index your cost base based on the um, uh, time that you sold it. So you had your cost base, you inflated it by the inflation rate over the time. So you worked out the real return. Exactly. Mm. So then you paid paid tax tax on the real return. On the real return. Then Howard got into office and he said, well, did not immediately into office, but three or four years into his Mm. office, he said, he said, no, we're going to do away with all that. We're going to go back to, you're going to pay tax on the 50% of the capital gain you actually make. Yep. Now, that made sense at the time because it was a very low inflation rate and all that sort of thing. Yes. It probably did make sense to do away with it. It didn't look so different. No. Kind of achieving the same result. Exactly. But now that you've got houses that have gone up in value as high as they have, they've gone well and truly ahead of the inflation value, that's really crooked that you've got a situation like that. Plus, people can manage their affairs so, for example, if you know you're getting close to retirement age mm. or you're in a business where you're self-employed so you can either pay yourself an income or not pay yourself an income, mm. if you had a large capital gain event about to happen, you could say, I'm not going to pay myself an income this year and then effectively you'll pay less capital gains tax because there's nothing to put it on top of. You mm. don't have any existing... So it's open to abuse because... If you're a, a business owner, you can you can do timing things, which makes a huge difference. So yeah, yeah well, see, I rent out half. Mm. I rent out a third of my house right, right now. Mm. So when it comes time to sell that place in the future, I'm going to have to pay capital gains tax on a third of that place. Yep. Or what I can do is I could take it, roll it into superannuation, pay no capital gains tax on it, and then immediately draw it out of superannuation. <laughs> right. Tax free. So there you go. So that's a clear example. It's exactly where, where, where there's it apparently can be done. a tax there, but yeah, you can avoid. It's a and it's perfectly can, legal. Because, yeah. It's perfectly legal, and because you can time these things. Whereas Joe Blow um, digging a ditch or flipping a hamburger Can't has do no. That. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, anyway, there we go. So anyway, next like, up, we will have to talk about how bad you know is inequality really an issue because clearly we have inequality and at what point does it become a real problem mm. and currently we've got the top one percent own 70 percent of all wealth and that is way tell too me high. you're not scared by that but anyway. that, that is way too high maybe yeah. if for the top one percent owned 50 percent of the wealth or 25 percent mm. of the wealth mm. that would be a hell of a lot yeah. more manageable mm. right uh i would like to thank the patrons who we haven't thanked in a long time and uh good on you patrons um dear listener we have expenses. We've got um, hosting fees. We've got subscriptions. Uh, a number of the articles I read today were from the Australian and from other news sources that we subscribe to. So, um, yeah, we've got expenses. So these people help cover those. Sean, Janelle, Craig, John, Landon, Wayno, Ayame, Alison, Steve, Tony, Caitlin, Watley, Jimmy Spud, Kane, Roman, Matt, Jay, Robert, Rod, Pale, Maddockman, Dominic, Liam, Dave, Karen, Daniel, Harry, Peter, Captain Doomsday, Aidan... Wheat Watcher, Andy, Murray, Melinda, Adam, Greg, Professor, Dr. Dentist, Will, Glenn, Craig, S, Matthew, Clinton, Alexander, Paul, Tom, Tero and Camille and the non-patrons who do it through PayPal, Dean, Ken, Was, the beneficiary, Mr. Anderson, Corinne, Mattman, David and Beverly, your champions, all of you. In fact, I've got a message for you from the people who don't contribute as patrons.
you nice. could be. You could be. <laughs> you could be. All you have to do, go to the website, Iron Fist Velvet Glove, where all the show notes are, and uh, you'll see buttons for contributing and becoming a patron. And uh, the deal is, if you've been listening to 20, 25 episodes and you can't wait to watch the next ep- or listen or watch the next episode, then we expect you to become a patron. It's like it's like the honesty box with the <laughs> farm, the avocado, yes. the avocado farm, yes. and we've put out a bag of avocados. You would never take that bag of avocados without dropping a few bucks in no, the honesty box. So that's what we'd like you to do. And Scott, beer sponsors. Beer sponsors. There's news there. Yes, we do have some beer, new beer sponsors. Uh, Mr. Anderson, we've just drunk the last three beers that you left mm. over here, so thank you very much for that. Mm. And we've also just finished off Tony Wall's uh, beer too from last week. So we were out of beer until Woz came to the rescue and we have just received his beer. So next Thanks, week we'll Woz. start drinking Woz's beer. So thank you very much to our beer sponsors, Woz, Wayno, Landon Hardbottom, Bronwyn, Dave, Adam, Caitlin, Zach, Captain Doomsday, friend of the show, and Tony Wall and Mr. Anderson. Thank you mm. indeed, and Bronwyn was, was going to make contact uh, mm. as well before the end of the year, so she's up for a second one. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, I think I might put my Mr Anderson interrogation at the end of this program mm. so you can listen to that. We haven't heard from Landon for a long time. What's happened to Landon? I don't know. Landon's very busy because he's got a new son. Mm. Yeah. Come on, Landon. Retribution, I think mm. his name is. So. All right. Oh, okay. yeah. That's a cute name for no, a he, he did. Son. He did say that he was, he'd named his son's uh, Retribution yeah. and uh, I like Vengeance. It. I yeah. like it. There we go. Right. Um, I have a little story. Yes. I came across a, a reference in the newspaper to the Lord Mayor of Brisbane. Uh, on top of his salary, he gets $99,000 per annum paid directly into his bank account for professional... Electoral expenses. Expenses. Right. Without any requirement to account for what happens to that money. Isn't mm. that amazing? Nothing surprises me. Oh, my God. 99000 The leader of the opposition in the local council, in the Brisbane Council, I believe gets something like 20000 for similar purposes. But right. not having to account for it. At all. Mm. It's like in, you know, in a, a normal public service office, I would think, you know, whoever goes and buys the two litres of milk for, for the office fridge would mm. have to produce receipts, wouldn't they? You'd think so. 99000 per annum with mm. no obligation to account for it. Mm. Does that bring any, any, any words starting with C into your mind? It's very crooked. Well, he's not the system, yes. It's so. the system. Well, he, mm. he claimed that that had been put in mm. place by a Labor government. He's a LNP um, member. Mm. But he said, no, no, it's not our fault. It was put in place by a previous Labor government, but something well, he like... he could reduce that. Quite, could, a, quite a lot of years ago. But, yeah, what's he done about uh, re- removing it? He could remove it, yeah. Nothing. Mm. Mm. I would be happy for them just to give him the 99000 as part of his salary and say, there you go. Like, but then he would pay tax on it. Ah, uh, well, okay, right. Ah, okay. This is right. professional office yeah. expenses and things, you know. Uh, okay. Expe- I, I, don't, I forget the term, exact term that they use for it, but it was basically, uh, you know, petty change. Right. You know, for when he needs to call a taxi or, you know, do something else. Mm. See, I, I don't have a problem with politicians being paid lots of money. Just I don't have a above. problem with them being mm. properly remunerated mm. either. But mm. 
Because I just want them less susceptible to... To corruption, yes. Mm. But it strikes me that that smells like corruption, mm. doesn't it, to you? Well, it would, it would encourage it, perhaps, yeah. But yeah. not to have to account for mm. it was the part that um, I found just amazing. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not as outraged as you about that. I, I am outraged, oh, I, I have am, to say. I have to say. Sorry. <laughs> it's like a tip, a $99,000 yeah. tip for being Lord Mayor. Yeah. With no accountability at all. Yeah. Anyway. Sorry. I just wish they'd answer questions. Like, you know, in the Senate hearings, they're trying to find out whether Scott Morrison tried to get Brian Houston invited to the White House. Mm. And these goddamn public servants are ducking and weaving yep. and refusing to answer a straight question. Yeah. And they're just trying to say, don't even tell me if Brian Houston's on the list, but was there a list? Was there a list of people submitted to the US government as invitees. Mm. Let's at least get to the point of mm. was there a list? Mm. And they say, oh, we can't say that because it might uh, it might interfere with sort of our diplomatic relations. Like, give me Rubbish. a break. So we can't even get something as basic as mm. that out of these people. Yeah. They, they well, I think Morrison is obliged to answer mm. the question. But the point is he can get away with not answering. Yeah. Nobody cares. He just fobs it off. Yeah. That's depressing. he's the daggy dad. Mm. Right, well, at least somebody out there is protesting, and that's Robin Bristow. So make your way to Noosa, and the Noosa Triathlon is a good event to watch if you're there the next day. Mm. It's quite entertaining. I mean, better off. We'll be coming back by then. Right, okay. (laughs) Very good. Thank you, dear listener, for tuning in, and send us some emails or send us some love. Um, It'd be nice to get some feedback. Bye for now. Thanks very much for tuning in. Bye now. See ya. As you can see, we've had our eye on you for some time now, Mr. Anderson. It seems that you've been living two lives. One of these lives has a future, and one of them does not. I'm going to be as forthcoming as I can be, Mr. Anderson. You're here because we need your help. My colleagues believe that I am wasting my time with you, but I believe you wish to do the right thing. We're willing to wipe the slate clean, give you a fresh start. All that we're asking in return is your cooperation in... A simple donation of $1 per episode. Wow, that sounds like a really good deal. But I think I got a better one. How about I give you the finger and you give me my free podcast? Oh, Mr. Anderson. You disappoint me. You can't scare me with this Gestapo crap. I know my rights. I want my free podcast. Tell me, Mr. Anderson... What good is a podcast if you're unable to hear? Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. 
Uh, first up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time and you might be repeating something I've said. And when you're talking to your friends, say, hey, I heard this on this podcast and it's worth listening to. And maybe pick an episode that you think's a good one and direct them to it. Like grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf on their phone and uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode and really the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to, I think, $10 and various ones in between. It's really, what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, is it worth more than that, less than that? Whatever you get out of it, because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe... You really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just, it'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners and that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.